Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Uh, on tonight's program, we have uh, first up uh, Stephen Durking from the Guam Coastal Management Program in the Bureau of Statistics and Plans to give an update of the latest outreach efforts, including the latest edition of Man, Land, and Sea. Uh, and at the top of the hour, we'll have with us Selva Balton from the Guam Regional Transit Authority to uh, talk about the latest things happening in the uh, in uh, public transit and paratransit and to answer any questions you may have. Uh, anyone wishing to join the conversation, we are broadcast live on News Talk K57 and 96.5 FM. We're also streaming live on pncguam.com, on k57.com, and at now News Talk K57 on Facebook. Uh, we're also simulcast under GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. And a podcast of tonight's uh, 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 program will be available the next few days on k57.com. And links to them will be provided uh, uh, on the Bureau's three social media pages, one for the Bureau itself, one for the Coral Reef Initiative Program, and one for the Guam Coastal Management Program. Uh, before we uh, the, uh, the music for tonight's program started, which, by the way, can, can anyone you're interested in is uh, emerged by Fisher Spooner from around 2000, uh, we had uh, sort of a retrospective of... Uh, brief retrospective stuff that has gone in the past uh, year or so, and including the announcement of the public health emergency for, by, uh, by Governor Lulian Guerrero way back in about March of, of last year. And here we are, uh, about a year and a half later, and that with a massive vaccination program, and we're, we're driving towards 80% uh, vaccination in order to achieve uh, herd immunity in order to protect us from the COVID-19. Uh, come up with a shield against uh, the new COVID-19 variants and then allow uh, the, the, allow the easing restrictions to bring life back to the way it used to be from COVID-19 to the extent it will return to the way it used to be with COVID-19 and also uh, uh, in order to foster more uh, economic activity, particularly with tourism. And uh, where the goal is 80%, and as of today, we're at 78.49%. We only 1,800 more people uh, left to vaccinate uh, before we reach uh, herd immunity. So those of you out there who have not yet vaccinated, um, I appreciate we're all very busy with our lives here, but uh, uh, do it for your friends, do it for your family, do it for your community, and, and go out there and get vaccinated. And I know there's uh, there in some quarters there's some concern, and, and, uh, and there's a lot of false propaganda out there. Uh, but if you believe in science and you believe in, uh, in doing your part to, uh, to combat COVID-19 and bring our community back, uh, then please go out there and get vaccinated. Uh, it's free, and there are a number of uh, 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 clinics, uh, clinics and, and also public facilities available for a vaccination program. So I, I, I urge you all to please go out and get vaccinated here. We're at 78.49%. Only 1,800 people left to get vaccinated before we can administer our goals. And, you know, we're trying to... 
Um, the goal is to try to reach it um, for tomorrow, Liberation Day. We may for a couple of days short, but I have no doubt that uh, we'll be able to uh, to get to it. You know, there is um, uh, there are vaccination clinics uh, open to open today, uh, but then will be uh, over the remainder of the week. So, so please go out and get vaccinated. And I believe we have with us right now Stephen Durking. No, we don't. Okay, that lost that line as well. He'll quite enjoy us in, in a bit here. Uh, speaking of um, of uh, COVID-19, you know, and, and this program is about uh, statistics. Uh, there are never varying statistics about how uh, we've uh, sort of uh, survived over the last year, uh, particularly given the economic uh, dislocations uh, involved in it here. You know, um, there is, uh, and there's a lot of heroic efforts out there, particularly for a number of public uh, institutions and service agencies that have uh, help uh, people through this period. You know, our, our local Department of Revenue Taxation worked hard and got out 180,000 stimulus checks amounting to $430 million to working families. The Labor Department under David Delisola uh, built from scratch an unemployment program that distributed uh, $670 million in unemployment assistance, PUA checks, to 22,000 uh, recipients. Uh, $20 million in assistance was provided for small business thanks to Kita's Small Business Pandemic Assistance Grant Program, uh, which was, yes, utilized federal funds, but most states didn't use that federal funds for that, that way to help small business. Uh, the Department of Education, along with the mayors and many civic groups, dispensed $2.5 million in food. Uh, carrying out more than 88,000 distributions to households throughout the island. Uh, and through all that, vital services like the port and public safety operations, and yes, they curtailed some degree of outpatient electives and elective uh, options in, in, the, in the hospital and the clinics, but, but uh, emergency care services uh, continued. Uh, and, uh, and the healthcare community put in place, uh, again, a massive vaccination program, which is still going in close to herd immunity. And, uh, and there, is, uh, there are a number of other people out there that work to get us through this period. Uh, and, and here we are. And uh, we've gone through fairly, not unscathed, but fairly well. But uh, more to, we have still a lot more work to get, uh, get to. So please do your part and go out and get vaccinated. And it's Stephen Durkee on the lines. Stephen, are you with us? Yes, I am. Half a day. Listen, I asked uh, Stephen to come on uh, board. I asked him to come on on uh, the program uh, periodically just to get up to date on the Bureau's own community uh, outreach efforts. Uh, these are vitally important to the mission of the Bureau's statistics and plans because the, the issues in which the Bureau addresses, including uh, land use planning and uh, climate change and coral reefs, uh, these are sort of issues that cannot be solved by any particular or one government agency or one government. Uh, it really takes and involved a, a, uh, an entire community working together uh, to solve and, 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 do, and effectively deal with these issues here. And part of that effort of bringing the community into this process is community outreach to keep them informed as to what's happening in the issues dealing with our environment and our natural resources and our land use and our ocean resources and uh, get them involved in the discussion. Uh, for addressing uh, the challenges posed by many of these issues. So uh, one of the instruments we use is the Man, Land, and Sea publication, which comes out once every quarter. And um, and uh, is it out yet, uh, this one out yet, uh, Stephen, this current version? No, actually, our Man, Land, Sea for this month of July is coming out on July 23rd, this Friday. Ah, so um, right. And it's going to be as an insert in the on PDN. So if you get the copy of this Friday's PDN, you'll uh, get the latest Man, Land, Sea. 
Okay, and and uh, so spoiler alert, um, Steve, why don't you walk us through this week's edition of Manland and Sea and, and give people a preview as to what's in it. Uh, I believe on the cover page we have a message from our Attorney General, even tied to the Camacho. That's correct, yes. We invited the, the Attorney General to, uh, to get featured on our cover here and, and cover some of the, the issues that, uh, that are affecting Particularly environmental and issues environmental work, yeah. in, in court that he's, uh, he's led the way in doing here. So uh, yes, what, what, what sort of articles are in there? Let's, let's go to page two and see what, what will people find if they get to... Uh, yeah, so we have, a, uh, uh, we have an article from Patrick Keeler of the Guardians of the Reef. It's a program uh, that was developed by the Bureau uh, about 15 years now allows high school students to come in and uh, participate in training and introduction, basically to familiarize themselves with the you know, Guardians program when they get certified. And it's a kind of a festive setting for them, and, and uh, it's a really good program. Unfortunately, this year, uh, they weren't able to do this program uh, because of the lockdown and because of the uh, pandemic. But uh, we're hoping to transition uh, to the original in-person format next year and uh, hopefully we can get that started. So that's a, that's a big story on, on the Patrick Keeler study of the region. Right. Just to clarify, the traditional way that this program has worked is that we bring in 10th uh, graders for like a day of a training, and then they're sent out to the grade schools, particularly to third graders, to communicate uh, through skits and, and other, uh, other means, uh, uh, enhance their knowledge of the, of the coral reefs. Now, of course, because particularly because the school's closed, we couldn't, couldn't quite do that, even though they're opening up here. But this year, they're, they're, in order to do it, they're, they're creating a video for distribution uh, right. to grade schools, right? And so that's, that's still in production? Yeah, it's ongoing right now. And they're also doing some educational pieces with PBS. Um, for the future Guardians of the Reef program. So that's the latest with the Guardians of the Reef program, and now a program that's going on, I believe, now this is the 17th year, I think. Uh, maybe so the 17th, 16th, 16th year, year or something like that. So it's going on for, for a while period. Again, uh, the Coral Reef Initiative Program under the Bureau was funded by grants from the U.S. Department of Interior and also by the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration and the U.S. Department of Commerce. So that that's it for Coral Reefs. What's next? Okay, so we have a, a nice feature. I think it's already been featured uh, on uh, the some of our news media here today. I saw, as a matter of fact, it's an article by uh, Walter Leon Burrell, one EPA administrator, uh, discussing the EPA on, uh, on track with the tire removal project. So there's a little there's a feature in there uh, talking about its funding source, talking about how the how the tires were put there in the first place in 1972, and kind of walks you through the process of how they're going to remove it. Which is along with a number of other issues, and what do we do with the waste generated is an important uh, uh, issue for the community here. Some, a good part of that is going to be, by the way, just going to plug in, even though we went through all this with, uh, with Stephen uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, next month is the 6th Annual Assembly of Planners Symposium. And a number right. of the tracks are being with zero waste and, and basically converting waste into resources to fuel the green economy. And, and part of the, the things that are examined in this overall program is, is uh, not just uh, uh, um, things like uh, uh, organic waste here, but also there's examinations of uh, issues dealing with plastic. We were going to have a presentation by a plastics company that takes um, uh, plastics or recycled plastics and use it as an it as a, a component of concrete, and therefore diverted into uh, into a built uh, into stuff that we can use for for to to uh, commit buildings and other things. Uh, but anyway, that that's a that's another subject that we can endlessly talk about for the OHAR and a half. So, so we have um, a presentation by my colleague Walter Leon Guerrero to describe their uh, 
their, uh, the uh, solutions that GEPA is doing in order to deal with the uh, rubber tire situation. So what else is in the, uh, this, year, this week's Man, Land, and Sea, or this quarter's Man, Land, and Sea? Well, we do have a, a feature article by uh, Julian Jensen. He's our uh, federal consistency coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of, kind of going over what the federal consistency is, uh, the processes, and and, uh, and what his uh, what his responsibilities are about. Yeah, just to clarify, folks, what what um, what Stephen's talking about is one of the mandates of the Guam Coastal Management Program, which is a program of the Real Estate and Plan, and it's funded 100% by a federal grant from the National Oceanographic Atmospheric Administration. And what uh, um, part of the mandate is to, when uh, projects come up, particularly federal projects, is that you examine that they are consistent not only with federal law, but also local law. And therefore, the, um, the staff of the Guam Coastal Management Program are very much part of the regulatory process, uh, particularly for federal projects and major development projects, and so the examinations to where they comply with federal and local law, that problem is called process is called federal consistency. And it's not always a really understood process, except for those deeply involved in it. But it's an important co- component in order to protect our natural resources, protect our, our communities uh, uh, for unwise development, whether it be um, uh, civi- uh, civilian or military or, uh, or otherwise. And so it's an important tool that we have in influencing the uh, process of development of our island. And uh, Julian Jansen is, is a key um, member in, in running the Federal Consistency Program. He did a, a presentation at last year's um, fifth annual Assembly of Planners Symposium on Federal Consistency. Okay. And we'll do so again in one of the breakout sessions at the sixth annual Assembly of Planners Symposium. So what else? He'll, be, be, doing, he'll be doing that again this year as well. Yeah, yeah. So what else, what else? Anyone anybody wants, um, wants to catch uh, um, uh, the, um, with the last year's uh, Assembly of Planners Symposium, it's available, uh, most, pretty much all the proceedings are available on the Guam Coastal Management Program's YouTube channel. And so you can see what the sessions, what they look like, and what they're, uh, may give you a clue as to what um, this year's Assembly Planner Symposium will be. So, right. sorry, for the, sorry for the plug for the Assembly Planner Symposium, but let's, uh, what else do we yeah, have in the Willamette and Sea? Yeah, and so we just, you know, uh, last year, uh, in December, we had a, a law introduced, uh, the Guam Arson Law, an amendment to the Guam Arson Law that was passed uh, by Governor Villarreal on December 29th. So we kind of feature a, a did you know section uh, that uh, tells you about Public Law 35-134 about the prosecution of arsonists, and they can be charged with a third-degree third, a third degree felony for intentionally starting a fire, the forest lands, bush or covered grasslands, jungle or woods. And uh, people don't know, a lot of people don't know, is that about 6% of land on Guam is burnt every year. And many fires start because of backyard fires and uh, or are set intentionally. So we just wanted to get the word out that it is it is a uh, it is a crime under uh, Public Law 35-134 to intentionally set fire, even and, though it's a backyard fire. And if anyone has been watching the news, um, uh, the conservation officers in the Department of Agriculture, headed by um, Chelsea Brecht, have been stepping up enforcement of laws dealing with the marine preserves, but also on uh, on conservation areas, particularly uh, hunting laws. And so, uh, but I know also on the lookout, they are looking for potential arsonists. You know, those wildfires are a major, always a major problem. Um, uh, few people know this, but the Forestry Division of the Department of Agriculture has a, a squad that goes out and deals with wildfires. Um, so this is much, very much an, uh, an, an important issue, and this tool hopefully will help cur- curb their outbreaks. Yeah. So what else do we have? Um, uh, okay, and and uh, I think what's very interesting, and I wanted to, to let the public know about, is that uh, 
our own very Guam, our Guam Coastal Management Program staff, two of our staff members, recently won in a NOAA Coastal Management Photo Contest. So we wanted to feature the photos that they submitted, and uh, they were photos selected out of over 70 submissions nationwide. And uh, two of our photos uh, from public access and ocean planning, public access photo was uh, taken by Christian Paul Benitez. He's a planner uh, with TCMP. And Audrey Menno, she's a planner with GCP as well, from a tilapia fish at the Tidian Hatchery in Mila uh, that she took, that uh, took first place in ocean, ocean planning. Uh, as well as um, Christian got some honorable mentions in some of the drone shots he did over Marizzo, uh, Marizzo Village and uh, Cocos Island. So we're very proud and uh, very happy that uh, we have a Q&A uh, portion of this, uh, of the MLS this year with them. Uh, kind of get to know them, uh, what they were doing on the day they took the photos, and just kind of describing the photos uh, that were that one that one in the Noah Coastal Night. Uh, uh, they posted on the Bureau of social media pages, or maybe maybe a good idea to repost them just in case they anyone. Will, they will be posted once this is released. Okay, so if people want to check out, uh, um, they can see it, and, and you have the photos in the Manland and Sea publication, of course. That's that's what exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, again, spoilers for Friday's um, edition. Uh, uh, so aside from that, what else do we have? Uh, that pretty much covers our issue this okay. year. Uh, besides the uh, providing information on the assembly of planners and secret assembly of planners, it's taking right. place in August uh, uh, 18th and 19th of this year. So and, and registration for that conference will be available to the general public by next week, right? Yes. Yeah, so it's, we're planning to open the registration up by next week uh, to the general public. Uh, we have to pre-register some of our panelists, speakers, Mm-hmm. Um, required attendees uh, because we're limited in space uh, at the venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the pandemic, I think we're limited to 100. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we need to, to make sure that we have all of our panelists, uh, especially those for the second day of Primo, uh, who are coming in uh, to, to facilitate the second day part of the conference. Well, since you mentioned Primo, perhaps you would mention what, the, uh, what, the, uh, uh, what Primo stands for and, and what they do. Yeah, it's Pacific Risk Management Ohana. Uh, so they're made up of a network of over 100 uh, agencies that deal with uh, disasters. Uh, FEMA is involved. A lot of government agencies, a lot of uh, uh, public safety, uh, homeland security are involved in this organization. We get together and, and develop policy, um, uh, develop, um, I'm sorry, uh, basically develop, uh, get together and discuss uh, Everything that has to do with with uh, with that, mm-hmm. and and uh, this is sort of a a, a, a major boon for the uh, sixth annual assembly of planners. Prima does uh, these meetings annually, yeah. and it was quite a uh, quite a, a prize to uh, persuade them to join with this year's sixth annual assembly of planners. Supposedly. Yeah, we're happy to have them, and, and you know they're going to facilitate uh, a lot of discussions on the second day. Uh, we have a lot of panelists uh, that they're still developing that we're going to be inviting, not only locally, but from Hawaii, mm-hmm. uh, FEMA Region 9. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're going to have a full agenda on the second day. Yeah, before we get too far afield here, just a reminder, the, this year's Man, Land, and Sea is available uh, as an insert in, in the PDN coming out Friday, but it will also be available digitally at the Bureau's website, right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, and also some past editions, if anyone wants to look at uh, uh, the past work of at least the last year or so. Um, yeah, the, we have it on bsp.guam.gov. Mm. Uh, you can you catch us there, and it'll, it'll be on the front page uh, of that website. 
and then as well as uh, the Guam PDN will be running that as well on their website. So after the after Friday's edition, when these comes out every quarter, so the next one will come out what sometime in uh, in October. Yeah, I'm looking about October for the next issue. Yeah, and from that, I will we'll probably have a number of uh, articles about. Uh, uh, from the, uh, the ages of the 6th Avenue Seventy Planners Symposium. I, I can't uh, leave that the subject of, of it. Um, just to uh, point out an interesting fact, the last Seventy uh, Planners Symposium was last year on February 20, 2020. And I believe it was the last uh, sizable government conference, in-person government conference, uh, before the uh, COVID-19 restrictions were applied. And as they've been loose and open, open up a bit, I think it's the first major uh, in, in person conference we'll have, uh, we'll since 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 the last one, which was in February of uh, last year, which is the fifth annual Assembly of Planners Symposium. So, that, yeah, we'll I, probably we're sort of bookending this. Uh, attendee on that on that session, we had two hundred planners in attendance from various agencies all together. Right. Okay. So the so that's uh, the future. Now, just other projects which which Stephen is working on is uh, working in partnership with PBS University to develop some online content. Uh, for the schools as they open up, one of the things that's been found is that uh, the, the teachers have said uh, you know, uh, in their feedback is is that uh, there's not enough um, online local content uh, to use in their classrooms as they come back to a version that's a hybrid between in-person and, and, and online instruction. And so a number of agencies, um, including, uh, including federal agencies, including the National Weather, Weather Service, have been working with PBS University to um, use their expertise to develop online content. And I believe... Uh, uh, one of the things we're going to use is the Guardians of the Reef video as available yep. online content. And uh, also programs dealing with um, uh, seagrasses and um, mangroves, uh, mangroves and, and coral reefs. Um, and, and coral reefs eventually will be done here. So uh, at this stage, I've t- and, and as the aforementioned Patrick Keeler, who did an article here, so at this stage, um, Patrick Keeler, uh, particularly for one of these these environmental ones, Patrick Keeler and his and his uh, and his uh, Colleagues are busy uh, using their GoPro cameras to uh, try and capture a lot of the, uh, the uh, footage to demonstrate what's out there, particularly in remote locations or uh, even underwater footage as well, particularly with respect to uh, coral reefs and, uh, and, uh, and, and, other, uh, and other things. And so this is, um, this is uh, something Stephen is also working on. Uh, yeah. So anything else you want to mention, Steve, before I let you go? Uh, thanks yeah, for being no, updated. One, on one of the pieces that we are working on is the Guam Seashore Reserve Plan. Uh, they're going to they're be doing a, some a video work as well, which you can find on our YouTube channel right now. Uh, just go to Guam Coast, just search Guam Coastal Management, and uh, check out the video from the Seashore Reserve Plan. And, and there's there's some links uh, that we provide uh, that take you a survey, you know, what the seashore means to you, and that's really going to help in the, in the development of the Guam Seashore Reserve Plan. So this is not only check out what's happening in the plan, but inviting people to participate in the process by participating in the survey. Uh, because, as I said, a lot of these issues, uh, they really can't be done, handled by a single agency or a single government, but they have to be addressed by an entire community. So the more you get involved in this process, the, 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 the better the future of your community will be. Uh, anything else you want to plug uh, as well, Stephen? Yeah, uh, one more thing I wanted to add was uh, soon I'm going to be contacting a lot of our site leaders for the Guam International Coastal Cleanup, uh, trying to get that moving and to what extent and how it's going to look this year. And so I'll be doing that in the next week or so, uh, trying to get the site leaders together uh, to kind of better get a feel of uh, of what areas we can cover with how many people. That really depends on the on the public health guidelines and the right. amount of people we can have on these cleanups. So uh, that's going to change. That could change uh, either way. 
any day. So we're, we're hoping that we can at least get uh, started on, on planning a cleanup uh, for the Long uh, Beach National Coastal Cleanup this year. Yeah. And if there's anybody that wants to uh, to volunteer or to be a site leader, you can reach out to me uh, at uh, stephen.dirking, D-I-E-R-K-I-N-G, at dsp.guam.gov. Excellent. Yeah, and the, the just to put uh, establish some context here, this is the international coastal cleanup that prior to COVID was being done in, in more than uh, twenty six countries, yeah. and Guam was one of the participants. And of, and it's under under the aegis of the Nature Conservancy, uh, which is an international organization very much involved in issues dealing with the environment and uh, and uh, yeah. uh, and cleaning it up and and uh, a whole host of things. In any event. And the Nature Conservancy last year decided not to uh, proceed with the uh, uh, with the uh, uh, international coastal climate given the worldwide restrictions on gathering of crowds. And so we, we, we although we had planned to do it uh, last year and hoped to do it, it just it just was not possible. And the Nature Conservancy uh, essentially canceled the international celebration. Stephen, have you heard anything new yet from the Nature Conservancy about? their efforts to mount this again uh, on an international basis, or are they still wa- waiting and watching like the rest of us? I, I, we're having a meeting next week with them. I have, a, I have a call with them next week to go over that, so I, I'll have more information on that in a later time, but we yeah. are trying to move forward, hopefully in September, uh, mm. dates to be announced, so uh, once I get into info from the nation, uh, the conservancy group. Well, then you're going to have a very busy September, followed by a very busy <laughs> August. Uh, yes, if, if, if that's yeah. the case here, and um, it's a good thing, particularly as as the tourism numbers are slowly, slowly, slowly coming back. It's important that we preserve the uh, our greatest uh, 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 advantage, our competitive advantage as a tourist destination, which is the beauty of our island. And as you know, there there's still a number of uh, of uh, ongoing cleanup efforts that have been on the ages of GVB. This coming weekend, they're doing a cleanup and tree planting ceremony. There was a weekend, there was a uh, cleanup cer- uh, operation weekend, involving the uh, summer youth employment interns just last weekend. And so this very much remains a, uh, a priority of the governor and the lieutenant governor. Lieutenant, lieutenant governor, of course, being head of the Idaho Beautification Task Force. And it's key to the, the, both, the, uh, the, uh, both to the governor's strategy for bringing back tourism is to keep the island uh, prepared uh, for tourists and keep our image uh, burnished and clean. So so there's news there, by the way, folks. I mean, uh, some people may have written off the International Coastal Cleanup for this year, considering that we still have a number of restrictions, but we're still uh, doing active, some active cleanups, and so there's that possibly uh, held, uh, held, out, held up there. If we do do this, uh, uh, please uh, participate to get out there and help keep our island clean and uh, and uh, if all, th- all, all things hold together here, you'll get a free T-shirt, uh, courtesy of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, to commemorate your involvement in uh, this year's International Coastal Cleanup, which, cross fingers, hopefully will happen, you know, and so we'll, uh, we'll see how, how that goes there. So, Stephen, anything else here before I let you go? I just want to thank you again, Tyrone, for having me on. Okay, well, thank you for taking time out for our Tuesday evening. That's Stephen Durking from the Guam Coastal Management Program. Absolutely. Happy liberation day, everybody. Happy liberation, yes, to you too, Stephen. Uh, <laughs> Stephen Durking, Guam Coastal Management Program, the program in the Bureau of Statistics and Plans, uh, yeah, giving us an update as to what is uh, happening um, you know, with the uh, Bureau's uh, outreach efforts. He has mentioned that tomorrow is a... Um, uh, is Liberation Day with a number of proceedings uh, happening here, beginning uh, uh, at 9 a.m. with a uh, on. By the way, um, uh, you can follow this on PBS Guam, and among and just uh, to start with the televised 
schedule tomorrow morning. Starts at 9 a.m. with the 77th Guam Liberation Day ceremony live from Adeloupe, uh, presided over by Governor Lulian Guerrero and Lieutenant Governor Joshua Tenorio. And at 10 a.m., there will be, um, this is the following KGTF's television schedule, so I invite everyone to tune in. At 10 a.m., uh, there will be a tribute to Guam's liberation. And at 10.30, there will be the 77th Guam Liberation Virtual Parade. Uh, if any one of you saw the uh, the inauguration of uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris, uh, they skipped the traditional parade and did what was called a virtual parade, which is very um, captivating and um, and inspiring. And so, uh, along those lines, they're going to they're going to uh, they've planned out a 77th Guam Liberation Virtual Parade, and then that at 12, uh, 12. Uh, 12 p.m., uh, there will be a, a, a 77th Guam Legislature, a legacy concert, so a musical, musical uh, uh, enter, uh, entertainment. And then at 12.30 p.m., there will be a rebroadcast of the 75th Guam Liberation Day Parade. The last time we had an actual parade was two years ago. Uh, uh, last year, I believe, for Liberation Day, they re- re- at the 76th Liberation, uh, they replayed... Um, uh, that uh, the the one from the seventy fifth uh, uh, parade, and um, and they're going to do this uh, again in, uh, at twelve thirty p.m. tomorrow, and at three p.m. Uh, there'll be a rebroadcast of the seventy seventh Guam Liberation Day Parade, uh, replay of the retribute to Guam's liberation, and um, and uh, the other the other including the virtual parade and the Lexi concert going all the way up to the early evening. So tune in to KG Channel twelve tomorrow to catch all the best for the Guam Liberation Day Parade. Uh, we'll be back after the um, CBS Radio News with Silva Balta uh, from the Guam Regional Transit Authority to talk what's new with GRTA uh, as we head to the top of the hour. And the CBS Radio News uh, is in the next uh, 25 seconds. And uh, uh, we will uh, we'll, we'll join you there. And, and by the, just a reminder, we're broadcast live on News Talk 57 and 96.5 FM. Anyone who wants to join the conversation after the news, call in 477-5757. That's 477-5757. See you all on the other side. Tyrone Titano. I'm Tyrone Titano, Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. Uh, coming up, we'll, we'll have on Selva Balta, uh, the uh, head of the Guam Regional Transit Authority, to bring us up to speed as to what's new happening with, uh, with GRTA and the improvements being put in place by Selwyn's team. Uh, anyone interested in participating in the, in the conversation or have questions about public transit or paratransit, our phone lines will be open at 477-5757. That's 477-5757, should you wish to join the uh, uh, conversation. As uh, we are broadcast live on News Talk 87 and 96.5 FM, we're simulcast on pncguam.com and kv7.com, and at News Talk 57 on Facebook. 
I, uh, we also, uh, we're also uh, simulcast on GTA Channel 3 and Docomo Channel 2. And a, uh, a uh, podcast tonight's program will be available on kvd7.com in the next few days. And links to it will be provided on the Facebook pages of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans and its programs, the Coral Reef Initiative and the Guam Coastal uh, Management Program. Uh, early on in the last block, I was going over the AGTF uh, schedule for what's up for Liberation Day, uh, but, uh, something of salient importance, particularly since we're not having an actual parade and celebrating to a good extent virtually. It will kick off tomorrow at... Uh, at uh, 9 a.m. at Alup with a, uh, a liberation ceremony here. But I also want to mention is that the Air Force is participating uh, with uh, flyover in celebration of Guam Liberation Day. And I'll just read this release by uh, 36th Wing Public Affairs from Anderson Air Force Base. Uh, and it reads as follows. In celebration of the 1777th Guam Liberation Day, U.S. Air Force aircraft will perform a formation flyover on July 21st, 2021, starting at 9 a.m., a formation of two F-15E Strike Eagles from the 389th Fighter Squadron Mountain Home AFB Idaho and F-22 Raptor from the 525th FS Joint Base Alamondorf uh, uh, Richardson, Alaska and an F-22 Raptor from the 199th FS 154th Wing Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam, Hawaii will fly from south to north along Marine Corps Drive. The flyover is also conducted in tribute to the six Amer uh, airmen that were killed July 21, 2008 in a B-52 Stratoforest crash with a call sign Raider 21. The Raider 21 air crew deployed to Anderson Air, air Force Base in a combined deployment from both the 20th Expeditionary Bomb Squadron and the 96th EBS Barksdale AFB, Louisiana, in support of the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command's Continuous Bomber Presence Mission. Shortly after takeoff to perform a flyover at the 64th Guam Liberation Day Parade, the aircraft experienced a mechanical failure in one of the aircraft's wings and crashed uh, off the coast of Guam. Uh, Raider 21 crew, uh, Colonel George Martin, 36th Medical Group Deputy Commander, and, uh, and he listed the, the, the tragic list of, uh, of uh, those who lost their lives in that, in that plane crash. Uh, members of the committee are encouraged to observe the flyover at the following locations, Assam Beach Park, Tomorrow Village and Tumon. So if you want to get out of the house and see something on Liberation Day tomorrow, you can go to those locations and uh, see the flyover of the, uh, of the Air Force jets. So um, probably something we wouldn't have seen last year, but it's another sign of the uh, community uh, coming back and, and opening, uh, uh, opening up further uh, uh, together. Um, there, is, um, there is an addition to... Um, Again, through the um, uh, the the uh, uh, broadcast and virtual uh, uh, parade and the other celebration commanded by KGTF and the Air Force uh, fly flyover, uh, our mayors are doing a number of commemorative uh, 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 commemorations uh, throughout the island in individual villages, uh, also to honor uh, um, and and memorialize uh, the uh, the the 77th anniversary of Guam's liberation. Uh, not entirely. We, we of course, have gone through all this without uh, not only without having a parade, but not having a carnival. Uh, and hopefully next year uh, things will return to uh, normal enough that we should do, do that. We will uh, get back to uh, that situation. We'll have the carnival and an actual parade. To do that, uh, we are, everyone's being encouraged to get our vaccinations, and particularly you know, to get to the 80 percent herd, herd immunity. And we're just uh, we're just right, almost there. We're just less than maybe 1,800 people left. So if you out there haven't been vaccinated, uh, please, uh, please join us. And joining us now is Selva Bata, head of the Guam Regional Transit Authority. Sel, my friend, are you there? Hey, Ty. Yeah, this is Sel. Okay. Thanks, Sel. Well, you know, I asked uh, Sel to be on the program. 
because Cell and his team are doing a number of really exciting investments at GRTA uh, to improve uh, uh, the, the reach and uh, the quality of the service provided by him and his team both for the public transit and the paratransit system. And um, sort of without further ado, uh, uh, Cell, because it's a long list of stuff, why don't we go over the stuff that, that uh, I know of and maybe you can add to it. But let's start with uh, you, you're in the process, in early days of the process, of, um, of uh, building a, a $2.2 million operations center. Um, do I have that one right? Um, actually, it's uh, $3, point, $3, three million. Oh, $3 million. Oh, right, see, right. this is why I asked Selby on the program, so I to make sure that I don't give out misleading information. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I just say, so $3 million, Sel. And so where, where would the operations center be built? The operations center, actually, it's a GRTA facility that will um, house our maintenance or um, transit operations and um, certainly our admin and finance and it, it's going to be built over by um, going into uh, Harmon on the right side there's a vacant property it's about two acres worth of property mm. you know so that's where we uh, are going to be building the facility but uh, that's that's really the, the foundation of GRTA because it's um, allowing us to have a permanent home it's allowing us to uh, fully utilize our um, transit management system, a technology type transit mm-hmm. um, management system. Plus, you know, we have maintenance there, and of course, uh, our, our uh, you know uh, admin and leadership. Yeah. So we'll be able to allow us to meet and manage uh, transit operations um, and you know uh, GRTA. But you know, Ty, really, uh, man, I'm, I'm really uh, along with my team. We're very excited about putting that facility up because, you know, in addition to leading and managing uh, GRTA, we're going to be able to do a lot of our own maintenance mm-hmm. rather than contracting those out. And it's not that I don't want to uh, do private uh, public partnership, but, you know, some of those uh, uh, preventive maintenance, minor ma- uh, minor repairs, we can do those kinds of things. Right. But the the, the, the big thing about having that, that maintenance facility there is that we're going to be able to have uh, or build our charging stations that uh, uh, that will allow us to uh, to charge um, electric buses and electric cars. You know, mm. so uh, that that's really going to be um, uh, the, the foundation of our, our GRTA in Guam. And, and, I, and I'm and I'm glad you use the word foundation, Cell. Uh, you know, uh, by the way, public disclosure at uh, at one point in my life, I I sort of held the post Cell uh, had had way back in the. Uh, in the ancient time of the 90s uh, mm-hmm. for a brief 11-month period. So I'm sort of familiar with the many challenges before sale. But I'm glad you used the word foundation. Uh, the, this sort of investment in the building, which, by the way, is an, is, is entirely with federal funds. If, am, I, am I correct with that? Absolutely. Ty, so, absolutely. So, so, and you know what? The feds are excited about us building that facility. Yeah, because it, it is it provides a stable base and a foundation to actually build upon uh, services and extend it, particularly with a growing community. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 so kudos to you, not, not only for moving toward with this investment, but in in actually uh, taking the hard work. And it's not always easy, folks, to go out and capitalize on federal grant opportunities mm-hmm. and to actually get them in and bring to the island where there are not only resources available to prove uh, public service, but, uh, you know, the, it's been said what the three mainstays of Guam's economy is tourism, federal military spending, and federal non-military spending. 
And so every federal dollar brought in is an input to our local economy. And, and CELS brought in $3 million for this facility, which is, which is important not only for the mission of, of his agency, but also uh, for our economy. This is particularly true nowadays. Uh, because as um, as tourism has collapsed and probably will remain very low for the next couple of years, it's uh, and, and and as you know, Sal, it's 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 part of uh, Governor Luliano's strategies to bring in as many federal dollars as possible. Because the more federal dollars we bring in, the better for the economy. The better people have uh, cash in their pockets to go uh, mm-hmm. patronize local businesses and pay for services and pay and uh, and keep the economy generating until until tourism gets back. Uh, but you know, the, and and speaking to um, one other thing you mentioned about uh, about it's important to get GRTA to keep it to do so. I mean, uh, over the years, I've heard a number of cockamamie uh, proposals uh, for a GRTA. Mm-hmm. One is is that you know if uh, they I, they they knew an off-island company that would uh, pay for a, the maintenance building, but all they needed in return was a 10-year contract or longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for this, you know, uh, that's all they that's all they need. In which case, here, you I mean it's like giving them a monopoly for a decade or more, uh, and, and with no no great expectation for improvement of service. So, but you're laying the foundation so we can actually build the service brick, uh, uh, brick by brick, so to speak, uh, particularly with your new uh, uh, GRT uh, uh, GRTA operations. There. But of course, you're you're very in the early stages of that. I mean, one of the one of the challenges, of course, you have is to go through the um, permitting and procurement process to make sure things are done right and the tax and the public funds are accounted for properly here. But mm-hmm. the money is there, so it's going to happen. It may not happen this year, but it's going to happen, right, Sel? Sure, absolutely, Ty. You know, Ty, uh, the other thing that I wanted to pass on is the fact, you know, <clears throat> like you said, the governor has been very um, persistent on the cabinet going out to um, to compete and seek federal funds. You know. And not and return under, federal under money. the yeah. governor and the lieutenant governor's leadership, GRTA was able to go out there and compete with over 150 transit agencies. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were awarded $9.5 million for a park and ride facility. Mm. In addition to that, we're buying electric buses, electric cars. We're building charging stations. Yeah. We're building a, a technology. Uh, ma- I mean, we're buying a technology manage- management system that, that uh, will allow us to... Uh, have uh, our, our ridership customize their rides, but the neat thing about this park and ride tie is number one, it's going to reduce congestion out of Jigu, Jeju, Anderson, you know, and the soon-to-be uh, uh, Camp uh, Bent Bluffs uh, Marine Corps Air Station. Where is the park and so, ride? Where, why don't you walk through the park? Where is it located? How will work? Uh, riders to either drive their cars over to the the park uh, parking facility and, and where would it, where park. where's it going to be located cell the park it's going ride. to be located over at Dededo. in Dededo, okay absolutely and, and you know with the cars tie um riders will be able to uh download the app schedule their their rides to be picked up at home mm. be brought over to the park and ride facility get on the bus go to school go to work go to their medical appointments you know mm-hmm. so so really that's um that's one of the big uh, progr- uh, projects that we're, we're moving into. The other thing is the mobility on demand. Well, the Uber well, well listen, Sal, Sal, if you let's let's go back to sort of break this down in details. And and folks, you see why I invited Sal Sal uh, on. He's he has a lot happening at GRTA, and mm-hmm. uh, he's sort of uh, sort of gone through it. So we we've gone through the the park and ride facility that this this be located in Dededo. And and if right. I understand how this works here. People will drive uh, there and park the car and then board the bus to go elsewhere on the island here. So it's kind of like a taking advantage of uh, 
uh, of transit without people driving over time and trying to hassle traffic themselves. And as a consequence of getting these people, getting cars off the road, you actually improve traffic. Uh, mm-hmm. Out there by giving people an, an alternative uh, to it. I, one of the one of the challenges that Cell has with GRTA is, is because uh, someone of limits on the funding here, you, the transit routes cannot extend as deep into communities as as would be uh, would be ideal here. But this with this park and ride solution, you've sort of married the two situations, and uh, and get people to. Uh, to, uh, an incentive to use public transit, and therefore, just do a brief drive away from their from their um, from their homes, avoid the major congested articles, and take GRTA to go to work. Is is that essentially the idea? Absolutely, Ty. Absolutely. And you know, the other thing is that with this parking ride, people be able to save from having to pay for you know expensive gas prices, mm-hmm. uh, you know, maintenance uh, and upkeep of their their vehicles. You know, and like you said, uh, definitely it's going to. Do Hopefully, uh, uh, create a, a big impact in reducing traffic congestion, uh, road repairs, and so forth. But you know, let me just say, if you ever take that <laughs> take that ride from uh, Jigu Dedidu uh, down to Marine Drive mm-hmm. in the morning hours, man, I tell you, that's a big challenge. And mm-hmm. it goes all the way down to Big Navy. Yeah, well, I live down at Agen, so whenever I'm driving up to uh, to work at uh, at the morning, there it is, man. That line of cars stretching out from uh, the main gate of Navy all the way over to Polaris, you know, I mean, it's just uh, amazing right. how uh, how we can really, uh, you know, su- support the island in, in reducing traffic congestion. And, you know, the environment that hopefully with the reduction of, uh, of, of fossil fuel uh, cars, um, the, the, the health and, and the welfare of our people be uh, certainly uh, much better than, than the way it is right now. And, of course, one of the priorities of the Biden-Harris administration, and mm-hmm. it's going to be reflected in the infrastructure bill, is um, a, a shift over to decarbonized energy. And mm-hmm. one of the goals, stated goals of, um, of President Biden is to uh, move uh, state, uh, county, and federal uh, vehicle fleets to electric vehicles uh, over the next 15 years. It would be a sort of a, a long-term process, in part that uh, yeah. tracks technology as well as, as, well as financing and, 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 and careful planning in order to make sure that services continue over this uh, period of time. I, I think a good parallel about how that process work is GPA's <laughs> long-term strategy to convert to renewable resources, which again is, goes over the same uh, uh, period of time. And, um, and you sort of touched on earlier in your comments here, but, uh, but Sale is ahead of the game here. He's already in the process of acquiring electric buses and, uh, and vehicles. And so, wh- why don't we start there, uh, Sal? You, you're, I believe it's it's uh, eight electric buses and eight um, electric vehicles, and and perhaps explain how that will work. Yeah, uh, Ty. Uh, let me just uh, yeah, I'll, I'll explain that. But the other big uh, a part of this um, nine and a half, nine and a half million dollars is that four hundred thousand dollars of this is going to be used to to bring in a, a, an expert consultant who'll be able to uh, put together an electrification plan for our island. Not only for GRTA, but an electrification plan for electric vehicles in Guam. Um, you know, so that, that's a very, very important part of... Uh, so so would the, this be uh, from the federal money, or is this from the uh, local resources which you are... Oh, uh, oh federal All funds, federal money, okay. Federal funds, yeah. Okay, if there but are anyway, some federal going, local going resources going to the... Going to the, the yeah. Eight electric buses and elect, eight electric cars, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, again, uh, we are going to be buying those essentially to... Uh, the cars will be used to allow people without vehicles living in Jigu Dededu mm-hmm. uh, or, or you know Anderson 
uh, if they don't have any cars, but yet they need to, to get on a bus to go to the University of Guam, mm-hmm. go to the mall, or go down to Navy or whatever, you know, they can, they can um, um, again, uh, download the app or call the transit management center, schedule their rides, and a car will go out, and, uh, a driver will go out with an electric car, mm-hmm. bring the riders over to the parking lot and take them to their destination. And, and so you, you fully uh, connect the, the uh, from point to point there through that approach. Pardon me. You're connecting it from point to point in that approach by use of these sedans to marry with the uh, with the with the buses. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, knowing Delido and Jigu, there are a lot of folks up there who are really wanting to go to work, but yet transportation is is a very uh, very cha- uh, challenging part of um, you know finding jobs because they right. don't have any reliable transportation. So again, like you said before, you know, transit is a very important part in going Guam's economy. And the governor and the lieutenant governor are very much focused on on making sure that GRTA uh, goes out and take advantage of whatever resources are available mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, um, improve our transit system. And, and so as an indication of public interest in this, we have our first caller here, uh, Average Joe, with a comment or a question. Joe, are you there? Hey, thank you so what, much. What, com- what comment or question uh, you have for me or so about uh, it? Uh, so I want to comment to first uh, emphasize that Whatever is being developed needs to needs to make sure that it's developed uh, 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 just as good for the paratransit. I, I need to take both care of both. And uh, there's a lot of paratransit uh, uh, riders who we can get to come in and and give their uh, their you know their uh, feedback and input. But uh, having said that, uh, the uh, uh, I think the question is, uh, or wait, another comment is, is I would I would emphasize the shopping centers as staging areas for people to. To park and ride, or to, or to scatter and, and, and you know, have a good uh, good uh, shelter there, so they can gather, and also um, uh, so that'd be like uh, the uh, micro mall, the um, the Dan shopping center, the GPO, and then everything in between. The two good bases, the big navy and the uh, air force, right? So you these are staging areas that you can develop, uh, and that and also make sure that it's all handicap accessible and friendly. Uh, so I think I ask, you, what is the timeline you think uh, this can be? Uh, we can start implementing this. That's uh, so? it. The timeline for what, sir? I'm sorry. How, how soon can we see some, uh, some, uh, you know, some of these things develop? Um, we're hoping that by 2022, the end of 2022, we'll be able to uh, get um, uh, this park and ride um, uh, moving right along with, you know, the uh, design of the facility that. Um, uh, development of the plan to electric to electric uh, the electrification plan, and uh, definitely we are going to start buying the buses, uh, training our people with maintenance, maintaining the buses, driving the buses. But I'm hoping that by uh, the end of FY22, we'll be able to have this facility and the buses up and going. That's that's our goal. Again, and again, like what you said, Ty, it depends on you know the. The, the, um, the, the, the wonderful procurement process we have in the government of Guam, which, which, yeah, yeah, which entertain yeah. us, entertains us to no end, uh, yeah. to put it so charitably. Yes. That sounds good. Thank you so much for your time there, Tyrone and the uh, director. And, and please, if you could, uh, Tyrone, uh, you touch on, uh, have, have some paratransit writers on and get their, 
Yeah, give their, uh, their feedback. And, and their okay. Well, uh, well, thank, well, thanks okay. a lot, Joe, for jo- joining the conversation. And, and in fact, if there are any paratransit writers out there who wish to join the conversation, the lines are open at 477-5757, 477-5757. I have with here my, uh, my good friend and colleague, Sao Pabalta, the head of the Guam Regional Transit Authority, which runs the paratransit system, that uh, it would be more than happy to hear the feedback directly from the clients that he's uh, that he and his staff are, are, are truly dedicated to serve and uh, meet the needs as, to, as much as possible. And if, if they can't meet their fully needs today, to find solutions to build on, um, on, uh, on their, their, the foundation they have today so they, uh, they can meet the needs in the future, which, I, uh, I, you know, which is a good way of going, going back to the subject of the uh, uh, electric buses and electric vehicles and your pioneering work here in, in, in starting at least the planning process for charging stations because you can't really have uh, electric vehicles uh, available without charging stations that are as convenient as, uh, as kind of gas stations in, in a sense here. But uh, just to, uh, uh, and so you're probably tracking this as well, uh, but um, the infrastructure, current infrastructure bill making its way through Congress, uh, it's going along two tracks. One is uh, one that they're going to do through a complicated process called budget, realisa- budget reconciliation. It will be mm-hmm. if it gets through an entire democratic process for which uh, there are uh, s- uh, substantial provisions for mm-hmm. electric vehicle conversions for particularly state, county, municipal fleets, and for investment in charging stations. Uh, in, but even as a companion to this, there's a much smaller bipartisan bill making way through Congress with both parties' support. Uh, let's see if that, that holds. Uh, but even that uh, has, uh, has an investments in conversion to electric vehicles and uh, the, uh, the uh, establishment of, uh, of, uh, of charging stations. And so what Sell is doing here is very much on the cutting edge of national policy. Uh, General Motors, that we've announced, like in the next 15 years, is going to stop um, making uh, uh, carbon fuels uh, cars and start converting entirely to electric cars. Uh, the future is coming. Everyone uh, sort of sees it. Even some may resist it for one reason or another, or political or otherwise. Uh, but President Biden's vision is is to convert the uh, uh, the uh, uh, federal, state, and, and county and municipal uh, vehicle fleets uh, to uh, what, what is referring to as non-decarbonized uh, energy, you know, in which case it would be electric. And uh, from that, uh, that, that, that will help produce a, a number of effects, including a cleaner environment, um, and also uh, help produce uh, carbon emissions there, which, in, uh, which is contributing to, uh, to climate change, over which we in Guam are already feeling the effect of, particularly in our coral reefs and our climate and, and a number mm-hmm. of things. And, um, and, and, and I think one of the... One of the 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 uh, besides being sort of ahead of the curve here and what Cell's doing here, it's also setting the stage for Guam to take advantage of whatever incentive programs or financing programs are going to come out of Washington. Given this is clearly uh, uh, top of, uh, near the top of this as a priority, uh, and so you know uh, and and uh, and and, that's, and factually and actually the uh, Biden administration has been talking in terms of those of those incentives or or grants or. Uh, or other devices to uh, encourage a conversion to decarbonized energy. And uh, the more we sort of get into it and, and recognize what is to come, the better prepared we will be to take advantage from the opportunities that are developed. Um, anyway, thanks for Joe for, for calling in. Anyone else who wants to join the conversation, once again, the lines are open at 477-5757, 477-5757. So, Sal, now that I've introduced hey, the, introduced the cabinet. Let me, just, let me just mention a couple of things here. Please. Uh, oh, the other aspect of uh, 
of uh, way ahead and what GRT is pursuing, you know, mm-hmm. is uh, the payment process. We're looking at um, trying to reduce the amount of cash that our drivers have to deal with mm-hmm. and, and stop selling tickets. So essentially what we're going to be doing is we may be bypassing the smart card uh, payment process and just do the, the cartless type payment process, you know, as much as we as much as we can. And uh, well, what would and a cartless would process a look like? For people to write the buses. Right, well, um, yeah, listen, uh, listen, Sal, Perry explain to um, to me and the lesson there. What would a cardless process look like? Oh, it's going to be like uh, you know, you you use your cell phone to okay. uh, scan through a, a right. mechanism like, like bus, Apple Pay or you know? something like that. Right. And the other the other is that for paratransit riders. Uh, they can uh, they can load up uh, by uh, um, x amount of uh, rights, uh, mm-hmm. and that will be loaded onto their uh, to their uh, account mm-hmm. with GRTA, mm-hmm. so that when the pirate transit rider uh, gets on the bus, the driver will just punch uh, the tablet with that person's name, mm-hmm. and then uh, his or her account will automatically be deducted from you know for for the ride that he or she has taken. So in other words, uh, you know. Uh, 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 we're hoping that with with that process again, we'll be reducing the amount of cash you have to handle. And uh, you know, Ty, mm-hmm. when I was over at Honolulu, man, they had like uh, a big, big table where they spread all the money out, and uh, they <laughs> they average about sixty thousand dollars worth of cash every day. Wow. With about four or five people counting money, you know, that's a lot of manpower. Yeah, that were that were um, you know they're using. And we don't want to get involved in that kind of, uh, you know, big, it's a tremendous job really to sit down and try to count money and then take that money and go to the bank and, you know, all of that. So so that's one aspect. The other thing that I wanted to let the paratransit riders know is that, you know, Ty, the paratransit riders, the key to good health is transportation. Mm-hmm. Over, seven, over 50% of the paratransit riders, and we average about 175 rides a day, over 50% of those rights are for, are for people going to their medical appointments. Mm-hmm. Imagine if we don't we don't provide the, the paratransit rights that, that these people need. Mm-hmm. You know, their life will be shortened, their health will be certainly impacted, and, and we don't want that, you know? Yeah, and we there's also the impact that of, the, of that sort of... There's also the impact that, of... Uh, right, there's the also the... That, uh, that they need to get to with their medical appointments, a better quality of life, mm-hmm. you know, for many other reasons. But, man, I tell you, I'm, I'm really very sensitive uh, with the paratransit riders. Um, they're, 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 they're a target population that if we don't care for them, you know, who else would take care of them, man? Right. So, yeah. Well, society is a judge, not how, how particularly how they they take care of the least of the the, yeah. the most needy in society here. Yeah. And 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 it's and it's and it's um and it certainly is as 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 a member of the Leon Grove Tournament, we're very proud to have people like you and your team who can actually give a damn about their jobs yeah. and in charge of these services. Um, I, I, I ought to mention another point regarding paratransit. It's important to their health because it's been documented there are impacts uh, on both mental and physical health for that sort of isolation that comes from not being mobile. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's an important part to them that they have a, of a long and fulfilling, uh, and fulfilling life here. Uh, so I want to say again it's to go over the details of those, some of the great stuff happening there, and uh, let's. I want to go back to some of the technology upgrades which you sort of mentioned earlier. Uh, you ha- you're implementing and spending like um, almost half a million dollars on a one-touch management system. Uh, it's a one-call, one-click transportation management system, and that system really enabled GRTA to transform itself 
from a paper-based um, transit operations to technology transit operations. This TMS allows um, our uh, dispatchers uh, to really uh, uh, monitor and manage uh, transit operations because they know where the buses are at. They know how fast these buses are, are traveling. They know whether the buses are running on time. And with that, you know, they, anybody who calls up and say, hey, uh, when is um, the Blue 2 arriving at Agate? Uh, mm-hmm. Because it's not here yet. Well, that dispatcher can really get on that uh, TMS and, and if, uh, actually see where Blue 2 is and tell the, the, the rider that, hey, Blue 2 be there in 10 minutes, you know, so just stand by. So how does that how does that work? Is it uh, is it a system whereby people can can call the dispatch office and the dispatch office has a handle on exactly what bus is where and therefore be able to communicate? Is that how this works, or is there something more to this than I may, than I'm explaining? That, that's that's the way it works right now until we buy um, an aspect of the TMS that's called uh, route route shout. With the route shout, uh, the fixed route the rider will be able to download the app. And definitely so, do or see what we're doing. So the consumer, the so consumer will know where the buses are without having to call GRTA. They, absolutely, absolutely, Ty. And then and they can make right informed now, purposes. Our, our yeah. transit riders with the with this uh, uh, part of the system that's called Amble. Mm-hmm. Is uh, they that's it. They can download that that um, that app. Uh, and fire transit riders can either use the app to schedule their rides. Mm-hmm. They can call GRTA to do that too. You know so. Uh, so, so that technology is available for power transit riders. We're hoping to get that route shout up and going for fixed route riders by, you know, the end of uh, 2021. So that's uh, that's uh, no. Really no I, I think that's a vital improvement for one aspect here, and as and and as you know, one of the um, one of the challenges of maintaining the public transit system is at peak periods. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the system gets really strange, and that's when you see slippages in, in, in scheduling here. But by get, by providing the technology so that people can see where the buses are, they're able to adapt to these uh, uh, slight slippages in the scheduling. And so instead of um, spending a lot of time waiting, they can use the time more productively and then catch the bus when, by keeping track of so when it actually is coming. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that a fair sort of, uh, uh, sort of uh, assessment of sort of the advantages to the consumer? Uh, by yeah. giving them the, that that technology, I mean, I uh, there is, um, uh, I mean, anyone's run the the public transit knows that this is quite often a problem here. But it, it's something I'm sure you and your team are working through. But through this is one solution of of actually dealing with it by bringing the consumer into the process instead of just uh, uh, waiting for the for the process to. Uh, uh, to reach them. Uh, I, anyway, that's my take on it. You know, as a hey, as, as one of your predecessors. The other thing about the TMS, uh, Ty, is that you know we're not dealing with any more paper manifests for paratransit right. riders. The manifests are are uploaded on a tablet mm-hmm. that's on the bus, and that tablet is connected with the GPS mm-hmm. to the dispatcher. So every time every time a rider uh, shows up to get a ride, uh, a paratransit rider, that driver will punch uh, the that person's name on the tablet. And that data is automatically transmitted over to uh, the dispatcher. So the dispatcher will know exactly how many people on the bus. Mm-hmm. The, the dispatcher will know who's on the bus and so forth, you know. Mm. So, okay. so that's, uh, that's another aspect of the TMS. It adds to customer service. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, so what does this TMS stand for again? One more time for the uh, – it's, a, it's a, a touch management system. 
Is that what it stands for? One-click transportation management system. Transportation management. One-click transportation management system. Okay. Um, The other piece of technology, and again, I believe you you mentioned it uh, earlier uh, in in our discussion here, but just maybe to go into detail here, is your uh, Accelerate Innovative uh, Mobility uh, app, which Mm -hmm. essentially... Uh, is is going to be like a, sort of like an Uber service in a, in a way. Um, perhaps you, I should, I should just keep quiet and let you describe it. Yeah, well, you know, Ty, um, um, GRTA has uh, contracted University of Guam, and um, and uh, we are working on bringing uh, Uber, route match by Uber, mm-hmm. uh, as part of a team. So uh, GRTA with with you know the two partners will be um, conducting a feasibility study on uh, on uh, a mobility on demand an uber type transit system mm-hmm. and and what that entails is that again grta is going to go out and uh, lease eight uh, eight uh, vans mm-hmm. and uh, uh, our riders will be able to download the app schedule their rides and uh, a van uh, will come by pick them up uh, at their home or close in close proximity to their home and uh, we're going to be doing this uh, study uh, in Agnet, Santa Rita, PD, and the Navy base. And the Navy base. When you mean so, st- when you mean study, you mean uh, you're going to do research, or you're going to pilot it in, in those. We're going to do research. Research, okay, to see what the Absolutely. needs are and and, and, the, and the consumer uh, interest in the service before you actually do it. Absolutely, and you okay. know what, uh, Ty, this this uh, this is a, a research and development project that's being uh, closely. Uh, scrutinized by the Federal Transit mm. Administration. We don't even deal with uh, Region 9 on this. Mm. We're dealing with uh, FTA directly at uh, Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. Because, the, the Federal, the federal the Transit result, Administration. The of this feasibility uh, study tie mm-hmm. is, is not only going to allow our local leadership to determine whether it's, it's, uh, it's a type of transit operations that we can use to integrate our existing trans, uh, um, transit management system, mm-hmm. you know, or transit system, Mm-hmm. But it all, they're also going to use the data to, to share with other transit agencies in the United States. So whoever is going to take advantage of mobility on demand, at least they don't have to reinvent the wheel, you know? Right. So, right. Uh, and again, this is uh, for people like you and I, you know, hey, we, we get up in the morning instead of driving our cars, mm-hmm. they download the app, schedule our rides, and, and a ride will come by uh, right down the street and, and take us up to work. And in the afternoon, we'll do the same thing, you know? Rather than having to uh, to battle the traffic, and uh, we can be doing work on the way to uh, on the way to uh, work, or uh, we can be reading the news and so forth on our uh, cell phone. Yeah. But um, right. So, so how much is how much does the study cost? You have, I believe, what one point nine million in DOT funds. No, no how much is it? One one point nine with federal funds and four hundred forty six thousand in matching funds in matching funds from the local resources which which are already dedicated to the uh, to the GRTA so Absolutely, not yeah. not general fund monies but some dedicated yeah. resources that goes into the uh, yeah. public transit paratransit system so, 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 so you know Ty yeah. you know Ty with the governor the lieutenant governor's leadership in less than 3 years man this you know this this these are what we've uh, embarked to uh, to um, uh, provide for the people of Guam so you know um, we're we're focused on moving forward and um, and uh, I tell you, there's no stopping on doing this kinds of uh, uh, initiatives. You know, we gotta we gotta look at uh, electrification so that we can make our environment a lot cleaner. 
we need to make sure that uh, you know we allow well, people. And, and, and electrification is the future. I mean, it's very clear not only policy in Washington, but from uh, companies like General Motors are going to work entirely to electric, producing electric vehicles in 15 years. It's mm-hmm. coming here, and and uh, the issue, you know, one uh, this is one of those situations where. We either um, uh, take take a, a handle and and help shape our own future, or wait for the future to 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 uh, shape us. And uh, uh, thanks to your efforts, and of course the leadership of the governor, lieutenant governor, this is a matter of like embracing the future, and uh, mm-hmm. and getting ahead of the curve here, rather than you know waiting for things to happen. You know, it's it's uh, so kudos to you, self, for making things happen, uh, particularly in uh, in this area of electric vehicles. I mean, uh, I, I, as you know, I uh, as part of the uh, strategic planning process, I do a uh, 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 contact various agencies to see what they're doing in their development plans, and I was just surprised. I was just telling people, sales buying electric buses, you know? And, yeah. and, and, and keep in mind, the, the, the big push for electric vehicle here was just this year out of Washington. Mm-hmm. But uh, even, and, 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 uh, and the centerpiece of it uh, was, uh, is, is this upcoming infrastructure bill by the Biden-Harris administration moving to, through Congress. But you've already riding up the funding to buy electric vehicles and, uh, and to help fund an electrification plan even before that happens. That's so uh, so that, that, that's, um, that's, that's known as, uh, as, uh, as um, thinking outside the box and, uh, and, uh, and uh, looking ahead. Uh, so, so, you know, if uh, we have about... Um, 15 minutes here, and so is there anything else happening at GRT that uh, that we haven't covered? Stuff that I've I've perhaps have missed that you may want to may want to highlight. Um, you know, really, I, I like to add on uh, maybe a couple of things Please. with regards to uh, with regards to the uh, AIM grant. You know, the mobility mm-hmm. on demand. Mm-hmm. You know, this the, the software that Uber's got uh, incorporates about 100, 100 languages. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in addition to the taxis uh, that are up at the airport, you know, when, when our tourism industry begins to grow, some of these tourists, uh, you know, instead of waiting around to, for a taxi, mm-hmm. we can be partnering with them to, uh, because the, the tourists from Japan, Korea, Taiwan, the Philippines, they can download the app. Right. Because, uh, you know, the, the, their languages are the Uber software. Schedule your rides. Uh-huh. And uh, we'll be up there to help the taxi drivers provide transportation for our tourists. When the sailors come in to, to, to Guam on, on, on the big carrier, 5,000 sailors, you know, instead of waiting around for a bus to pick them up every hour, every hour and a half, if they can download the app, schedule their rides, and there it is, GRT will be able to uh, provide them with that transportation. So um, we're, we're, we're there to... Um, you know, provide uh, support for the growth of well, our tourism well, industry. Well, that's an interesting in, in, in that, many different ways. Well, that's an interesting vision you have for the future. Uh, so, you know, there was uh, you touched on earlier uh, about half an hour about public-private partnerships, but mm-hmm. and and there's a merit to that, but there's also a need for public investments, as as in the GRT uh, uh, maintenance and operation centers that are, that are that is being planned. Uh, but but it is also uh, particularly in the field of transportation. Uh, been sort of obvious that transportation solutions can come in many forms here, as opposed to a static form. You know, you're uh, you're talking about creating sort of an Uber service. Well, Uber is is uh, and its companion Lyft has been uh, uh, w- remarkably thing it's done here is sort of up in 
the traditional uh, taxi cab model in major urbanized cities and is known as what is was known in the field as a disruptor uh, because it, it it used technology to look outside of the uh, outside of the uh, uh, box here and and see how technology can be used to sort of fit into people's needs more effectively here and certainly uh, uber and lyft uh, lyft have and so the, uh, what i was struck with listening to you to talk to you are beyond administering a public assistance transit system or administering a paratransit system, uh, you seem to indicate that your vision for GRT in the future is in helping the general public with their with transportation solutions, whether it's in a system run by GRTA or maybe um, uh, organize or helps uh, other uh, transit systems, either either through taxi cabs or other services or, or shuttle buses or as they may be, in order to provide people with transportation solutions. And uh, and and anyway, that's that's the sort of phrase that ca- crossed my mind listening to you uh, talk about the future. Do I have I sort of captured it right? Do you think or uh, or, or um, uh, what 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 the way you're thinking about this? I'm sorry. Can, can you, okay. Can you... I, as you know, what I was struck in listening to you talk is that beyond administering a public transit system, beyond administering a paratransit system, which is your main responsibility now, but when you talked about uh, helping to uh, coordinate when visitors come to the island at the airport and, and instead of waiting for a taxi or, or, uh, or a bus here, but, but using a, a download attempt to, to deal with uh, their, uh, their needs here, it seems to be um, a vision of meeting people's uh, providing solutions to people's transportation needs, you know, uh, either, either in one form or another, whether it's through through pri- uh, private operations or p- uh, publicly managed uh, run operations here, but meeting people's needs and providing transportation solutions, which I, I think is a sort of a visionary, uh, uh, a long-range view, no, no doubt here, but a visionary view of GRTA beyond what most people expect. You know, we're just supposed to run the buses for the public transit system, run the buses for the paratransit system, and that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. But to um, uh, to to deal with the overall transportation needs that, and and knowing the the sort of some of the birth of this agency, particularly in its uh, previous incarnations at Guam Mass Transit Authority, uh, that was always part of the of the vision. As you know, there is a there is a Guam transportation plan and has been for a while here. But f- uh, and though there's a reference to public transit uh, and uh, in it and always has been here, in my view, it largely has been a highway construction plan. Uh, it has not had a, a, a larger vision of, uh, and highways are important here. No, don't get me wrong; that's important. But they have a not not a larger vision as to how transportation uh, the needs uh, of a community will be met, or the solutions will, will be uh, transportation will be offered here beyond mm-hmm. building more roads. You know, like the old song. I mean, you and I are old enough to re- you remember the old song. You know, the pay paradise to build up a parking lot. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and and except for an island. Finding this small, you know, there's there's only so many highways we can build, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know there was something that's axiomatic about uh, particularly road transportation. This was uh, this was a sort of thing discovered early in the uh, in the early 1900s, uh, as related to the broad range of uh, uh, bridge work and highway construction that was happening around New York City, and one of the early bridges. Um, uh, Brooklyn Bridge had being the oldest, but one of the early uh, bridges dealing with traffic uh, congestion that was uh, that was uh, erected in, in New York City here. You know, during you, you're familiar with a guy named Robert Moses, uh, Cell. Any, sure, sure. Yeah, okay, so this is another one of Robert Moses' projects. For those who are not familiar, Robert Moses is an historic figure in terms of uh, of engineer of construction for highways and parks and all this other stuff. Here. And one of his main uh, projects, earlier was the Triborough Bridge. 
And Triborough Bridge was funded by bonds, and the bonds, the repair of the bonds was going to come by fares charged by people on the Triborough Bridge. And they, in, in calculating the financing for it, they figured what the current road traffic is, and then they figured that would be the traffic on the, uh, uh, that, would, that would be the number of use of the Triborough Bridge, and that's how more fares are collected. But what they found is, having developed an easier access to get across the river, that actual usage of that road exploded. So in other words, it, you know, it was not a matter of building a bridge in order to ease congestion. It actually, in the end, increased traffic oh, on the Triborough Bridge. And, and revenue sort of exploded for the Triborough Bridge. And this is the early 1900s. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those things where, where um, uh, if the, it, it, uh, building a new road doesn't necessarily uh, ease, uh, just shift uh, traffic as a static thing. Because you made it easier, you actually get more traffic. Yeah. And, uh, and, and there's only so many ways we can do that. In Los Angeles, where they solve that problem is they just keep on growing out inside into the uh, inner California. But it's, it, it's, uh, it, it is one of those things that there are the limita- limitation to just build highways issue here, you know, because traffic doesn't remain the same. And the more easier you make to use the road, the more the roads will be used. And traffic will actually increase rather than sort of dissipate over a, a period of time. So, um, so what? So I've always felt, you know, and not just because I, I previously ran, I was involved in the agency, but I was so. What you, which, which you do, and your team do at GRTA is not just a matter of meeting the needs of the present; it's a matter of preparing for the future by developing real transportation operations. And so, I'm, I'm very encouraged that that uh, that in your brief tenure, and and you know, just just remind folks, Sal's only been there for two and a half years, and he's done all this already. Uh, and, and and he's done a number of far-reaching uh, uh, stuff that that will will pay off way into the future. I mean, just just start with electric buses and vehicles and trying charging stations. You know, just, hey, just think of that one. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, sorry, sorry for interrupting, but you no, know, please. you mentioned about the Guam um, transportation plan or the Guam Highway or plan. You know, or the Guam Highway plan. Well, it's the Guam that was transportation put together back, I believe, in two thousand nine. Yes, right. But anyways, what we're it doing is we're taking that plan. And we're we're bringing in um, or you know uh, a consultant mm-hmm. that's going to help us update that plan and 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 put together a, a master plan that GRTA can use as a roadmap going much more into the future than what than what we've done so far. You know. Well, more impo- uh, more importantly, Cell, it's a it should be a roadmap that guides public investment in something more than just roads. Ab- absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and uh, and you know again. These are all federal funds, Ty. We're not using mm-hmm. a single, single uh, penny uh, with local funds. Right. The only, the only money that we're using for, with local funds is really the, that mobility uh, Uber type transit system. Other than that, it's all, it's all uh, federal funds. So yeah, and, we've and, been and, really and, fortunate and, about that. And it has to be said, one reason why we have a highway-centric transportation plan is because federal uh, funding uh, for transportation tends to be highway-centric. Now, that mm-hmm. has changed in recent years, and certainly is, according to the Biden-Harris administration objective, is going to change substantially in, in the future here. Uh, I mean, the, I even see in their reflection the normal uh, annual, like I think it passed every three years, the transportation bill that comes out of Congress. And I, even there is a shift over to, uh, to public transit because that, that's the future. Uh, so with those shift in federal funding priorities, like I said, it's a good thing we have sell uh, a GRTA to take advantage of the new opportunities or funding opportunities that are going to come out of Washington. 
uh, particularly as with the as the, the, we've talked to more investment in uh, in public transit uh, and more investment in electrification vehicles. So, have you given any thoughts to rail? I mean, I, when I was there, uh, the, I had a number of the, in, you know the nutty ideas presented. One was for a monorail, if you could believe it or not, uh, at the time. Uh, we, you know, uh, as an alternative. But you know, there's they there have been proposals, for example, for a trolley car service, which I I, I kind of think that that given some of the uh, engineering requirements and the fact that you would have to dig up a road in the middle of Marine Drive to make room for rail traffic, I think is sort of problematic here. But but just to touch on rail in the last five minutes, uh, which would if you have any thoughts or some insights that I've kind of missed, maybe. Uh, you know, honesty, uh, Ty. Um We've uh, been attending some webinars about um, some of the, the new trends that um, the president is embarking on, you know, and it's, only, mm-hmm. it's not only uh, uh, transit, but rather rail and even the, the shipping lanes and so forth, you mm-hmm. know, that he's talking about. But um, we're, I'm quite sure that as we, um, as, as you know, the pandemic is, is uh, addressed uh, more effectively and, and things begin to open up, you know, Right. We're going to be reaching out to, or at least t- touching base with people who are uh, engaged. I've done some some projects with regards to um, you know the railway system because, like you said, Guam is Guam's landmass is not going to grow any long, uh, no. any much more. You As know? a matter of according to so, climate change, is reducing. So you know, right, yeah. right. So we need to uh, begin to look at um, look look forward and begin to look at you know um, ways that we can maximize. Or landmass, and um, definitely, definitely, transportation is a big part of that. So, whether it's uh, you know mass transit or rail uh, in the future, uh, definitely, um, you know, we we're, we're going to be looking at uh, at uh, you know those kinds of things. In the meantime, uh, man, we're really focused on you know our, our transit operations and electrification, and you know. Remember when we came on board with this administration? Mm-hmm. It's like we're starting transit all over again. Right. I, I want to be honest with you. Right, and and and, yeah. and you know, and, and and it was mostly a contract rather than a national yeah. service. You know, and the issue is who gets the contract. You know, for that here. Well, Sel, we reached the point in the program where I tell my guests that because I have propensity to talk too much, I'm going to turn the mic over to you for the last three minutes and and 15 seconds to uh, impart whatever um, comments or information or our final thoughts or um, or uh, what you wanted to share with our listening audience in the last uh, roughly three minutes left in the program. So the mic is yours, Sopa Volta. All right, Ty, thank you. I, um, I, I just like to, to really let uh, our people of Guam know that, uh, that the governor, the lieutenant governor, are, are instrumental on everything that we're doing at GRTA. Their support has been very, very important in what we've done. Um, and and uh, in spite of um, all of what we've accomplished, we're, we're moving forward to provide more for the people of Guam. The governor, lieutenant governor, are clearly aware that transportation is very important, not only in growing the economy, but helping the most vulnerable people in Guam. Imagine GRTA is not only providing paratransit and fixed route, we're also providing transportation for the veterans and the homeless. Mm-hmm. Who, are, who, are, who are not able to get to their medical appointments, apply for social programs, uh, find jobs. But now with the leadership of the governor and lieutenant governor, we're, we're doing all of those. So, you know, I, I just ask uh, the people of Guam to, to just give us some time as we continue to move forward and um, 
I can assure them that uh, we are diligent, we're working hard, we're focused, and, and we're passionate about providing um, a transit system that our island people rich, richly deserve, you know. Um, there, there's no doubt that um, with a good transit system, um, we're going to be able to help people uh, put more monies in their pocket. Because hopefully they don't have to go out and buy expensive gasoline. They don't have to go out and pay for uh, expensive maintenance and upkeep of their vehicles, you know. Uh, so, so there are many things that we're, we're working on, uh, but we're going to continue to focus on things that we can uh, uh, do to provide better for, for island people. So, uh, Ty, uh, I just wanted to uh, uh, thank you for giving, uh, giving me the opportunity to, uh, you know, be part of your program and share with the people of Guam some of what we're doing with, uh, with transit in, in the island. Well, well, thank you, Sal, for coming on the program, and thank you for all you, all you do. That's Sal Babalta, uh, General Manager of the Guam Regional Transit Authority. I'll, uh, I'll see you tomorrow, Sal, at the, uh, at the uh, Liberation Day ceremony at Adeloop. All right, Ty. Thank okay. You. Thanks a lot, Sal. Have a good evening. Same Bye. to you. And uh, as we come to the closing program, just a reminder to uh, we're uh, almost close to getting 80% herd immunity, and there will be a vaccination clinic open tomorrow on Liberation Day on the second floor of the Senate Court at the Marconesia Mall from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. So please go out if, and get your vaccination if uh, you haven't already got it yet. Next week, we'll have Dr. Austin Shelton and some of his uh, young people involved in the uh, uh, Guam Green Growth Initiative Civilian Conservation Corps and the fine work they're doing. Uh, uh, this is uh, the Data Hub with Tyrone Titano. I'm Tyrone Titano, Director of the Bureau of Statistics and Plans. As we head to the top of the hour in the CBS Radio News,